It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Time Enough podcast is the podcast where we talk about episodes of the Twilight Zone and beyond. Eventually, people keep asking why you say that. And it's like, well, there's a lot of Twilight Zone first. Okay, so that's where we are for now. But <laughs> this is Matt here joining joining again as a uh, pretty much a regular is uh, John Champion from the Mission Log podcast where he talks all trek all the time plus some food yeah yeah. it was about about half trek half food and you know you beat us to it because at one point years and years ago uh we were making a list of shows that could stand up to the mission log treatment and twilight zone was always one of them but we just never got around to doing it and now this has become mission log adjunct (laughs) yeah yeah, no no i I don't mind yeah i think my goal in the first place was to sort of make my little own off-brand version so (laughs) you folks want to come in chat even better (laughs) yeah no it's very good it's a lot of fun and uh and it's cool to you know see a lot of the people that i work with come on your show this is great yeah yeah no I i think you're here about as often as my um my childhood friends now so <laughs> <laughs> nice uh, fair enough um but yeah today we're looking at the episode dust which um is on film i thought we were about to hit another videotape one and i so i was like luxuriating in the in the film quality watching this one uh yeah. may, maybe it's um static which is videotaped coming up later but uh yeah yeah real nice looking episode uh i think it was my first time seeing this one I, I I don't know if this is my first time seeing this one, but it was my first time really engaging with the material. Like I, I, I sort of vaguely remembered it, and maybe as a kid I wasn't paying that much attention to it. This time just it was a lot more emotionally resonant and um, really stuck with me. And, and stylistically, uh, yeah, being back on film looked great um, and just sort of enjoying that beautiful i presume mgm old west set it's gorgeous every time i see this though i always in the back of my mind like is that the spawn ranch (laughs) yeah (laughs) now i think this is over at 40 acres uh at uh at mgm in culver city and uh it would be cool i'm sure that somebody has already done the legwork on it but to see where these buildings and where these interiors were used on other shows like i'm sure that they're in you know blazing saddles or any number of of uh of contemporary you know 50s 60s 70s before they tore down that lot um i'm sure that they show up in a lot of those places and reconfigured too actually i am I ran across like the real thing once, like the the real ghost town, which was I, a couple of times oh, okay. actually. Um, well, we're yeah. a, as a Boy Scout, we were hiking in New Mexico, and and there was just like this is like miles and miles from even a road, and and the, yeah. the guide was like, "I'm going to take you to a ghost town," and it was like legit, like nobody there, no roads anywhere near. Oh, um, that's so cool. The other really off the track place I've been is um, 
Have you been to Darwin, California? No, don't know anything it's, about it. It's in the Owens Valley, um, and it, it takes a bit of a drive. And it's, I think about 50 people live there. And, and it's kind of like, like a lot of people are using solar power, that sort of thing. I think they have some mm-hmm. kind of dome. And you drive a little bit from that, and there's like this, um, you know, abandoned mine that literally looks like people walked away from in like 1888, and it's just sitting there, which uh, at the time being about 24 years old, went, went exploring a bit. So, you know, I could have wow. fallen down a shaft and ended up in my own twilight zone. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I feel like there's very little in the accessible world that can get discovered anymore because you know we we all have gps uh everybody's on the internet once something gets discovered everybody is there so like the the idea of just stumbling across a ghost town is a, a pretty remote possibility at this point now, the one that i have been to is the exact opposite of that which is calico ghost town midway between la and uh and vegas and it was indeed, you know, a booming town sometime in the, the 1880s or 1890s. And then when everything left and when everything shut down, let's, let's just say it was, you know, the 20s or whatever. It, it sat there empty for years and years. And then who bought it? Walter Knott of Knott's Berry Farm. So now when you go, this is probably in the 50s or 60s that he bought it. So now when you go as a tourist in the 21st century, what you see is paved roads and you see the animatronics that were left over from the 60s in this authentic 19th century ghost town. So it's like a whole other level. So I'm going to a ghost town, but what I'm actually seeing is the overlay of a theme park attraction but that is also dilapidated. <laughs> like it's a weird combination. It's cool, but it's not what I expected. Oh, God, I like that's you know two layers of creepy. I guess to take us mm-hmm. to our our town in dust, which uh, sure, still yeah. has some people in it, downtrodden yeah. people, of course. But uh, <laughs> I'll get a little bit of uh, the trivia out of the way that we are now in 1961. This has an air date of January 6. Of course, I'm still sure they filmed it in 1960, but yeah. We've, we've yeah. gotten to the new year. The episode is a Serling script. Uh, yeah. Sykes is played by Thomas Gomez. We saw him before in Escape Clause, but just to mention it again, he was the first Spanish American to gain an Academy Award nomination for the movie Ride the Pink Horse. And his final role was as the minister in Beneath the Planet of the Apes, which we recently visited. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, Vladimir Sokolov was Papa Gallegos, 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 two L's make a Y. But he, he, well, from his name, you can tell he's not Spanish. Uh, (laughs) You're kidding. uh, That said, he he began his film career in Germany, but escaped due to the rise of Nazism and the fact that he was Jewish. (laughs) Mm. He quickly reestablished himself in Hollywood and his, uh, quote, exotic features allowed him to play what he guessed was about 35 different nationalities. Wow. While he has many credits, as a studio player does at that time, the 1938 film, The Amazing Dr. Clitterhouse, stuck out just because of the title. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, now I have to see it. Yeah, he'll be back in the zone uh, two more times. (laughs) (laughs) We saw John Larch in the episode Perchance to Dream, and we'll see him again in the iconic It's a Good Life 
While I will not take the time to dive deep into his credits again, I will reiterate that he was Dirty Harry's police chief. Hmm. Seemingly doomed Louis, Louis, Louis was played by, I, I, I can't even roll my R's, by the way. <laughs> Seemingly <laughs> doomed Louis was played by John Alonzo. Yeah. Well, he has a few other acting credits. His true calling was in cinematography, where he lensed classics such as Chinatown and Scarface. Um, I don't want to miss my Trek nod this time around, so I'll make sure to mention that uh, he also did the cinematography for Star Trek Generations. Oh, right on. Yeah. Yeah, which, by the way, I think other than the motion picture is one of the best shot of all the Star Trek feature films. Like that has a really painterly quality to it. Um, and even though it's not the best movie, there is some stunning camera work done in that. You are right, but I can, I, I can hold back and not say it, or I could totally ruin that for you. with what my father said when we came out of the um, sneak preview of Generations. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. What did he say? He felt like, I felt like the ship was in urine vision. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there were a lot of, uh, uh, they, they tended to lean toward warm tones. Yeah. That. All right. Yeah, that was his, his hot take. Uh -huh. when he, came up. he likes the movie fine. He was just like, yeah, yeah. Again, you know, it's like we had like what a month earlier seen the TV lighting. So it was quite jarring. Exactly. At the time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, it, it is good cinematography for sure. I just, you know, every time I see that movie, that's that statements in the back of my mind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, with that, I, I thought about, well, there wasn't too much on the, um, the bereaved couple. So I didn't really bother putting some trivia on them, but I almost did. let's put it that way. But Wiki was like, eh, there's not much on them. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, if I could have you go ahead and give us a prologue. You got it. There was a village built of crumbling clay and rotting wood, and it squatted ugly under a broiling sun like a sick and mangy animal waiting to die. This village had a virus shared by its people. It was the germ of squalor, of hopelessness, of a loss of faith. For the faithless, the hopeless, the misery-laden, there is time, ample time, to engage in one of the other pursuits of men. They began to destroy themselves. Not the first time we've begun to destroy ourselves in a Twilight Zone episode, mm -hmm. I suppose. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm... I kind of noticed this um, with, with the Serling intro this time around, because, of course, season two is when he starts showing up on the screen. Mm -hmm. I, I'm noticing the times that he seems to be on set and not on set. <laughs> Uh, oh sure yeah i just yeah. like this one seemed like very green screen right yeah <laughs> um but yeah the, the best one i've seen though I, I think it was actually the preview and not the episode itself but a nurse man in a four dollar room where it has him giving the preview and you're like uh -huh. looking down on the room behind him and it's like super disorienting so oh yeah yeah i kind of i kind of wish they'd do a little bit a little bit more of that <laughs> yeah that would be cool actually yeah um i don't know where do you want to start on this one light or deep <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I feel like we're going to have to end deep because the, this is just a, a deep episode. But it, I'll also make the case that it is, uh, it, it's one of those times in the Twilight Zone where I feel like the Twilight Zone often gets the unfair uh, criticism that it's so dark and bleak and it's just sort of, you know, fate biting you in the ass, which it does a lot of that and i think in a very good way but this if you look at it i mean this has this 
hopeful message in it. This has like, it's not too late. Not <laughs> you can't actually make a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll we'll land there. But I, I think we can I think we can do the fun stuff up top. And and if by fun, one of the things we already covered just saying like technically this is shot great, it looks great. And it's also like this old west town that in a very 1950s, 1960s TV way is populated by these very like two-dimensional characters you know <laughs> but but here's the thing like it's a real trick if you can do that and still care about those characters and still care about the story that they're I'm not going to say that they're all two-dimensional because you you do feel sympathy and empathy for them but like you know it's it's the 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 sheriff who's just been kind of beat up a little too much, who who's had enough, he's tired of it. The uh, you know, the con man, the snake oil salesman who is all show, and you know, the bereaved family of the little girl. Like it's all just very clear cut. It's characters by the numbers. But immediately you just have this sense of place. You have this sense of what happened. The exposition is great. It just lays everything out for you right there as much as you need to understand and then lets the story unfold in this kind of natural way. So I, I can't find fault with any of the setup at all. Yeah, like I, I think it's that maybe the characters are relatively two-dimensional, but every actor in this is like chewing the scenery. Oh that's yeah, why I was, that's basically yeah. why I was like, "Gee, I should have like may, maybe I should have written some trivia about the bereaved couple because they're only on screen for what a minute total." But yeah. uh, you yeah. know, they they make their minute count. <laughs> sure. Well, and, and I love like how everybody you know they're sweaty, they're a little dirty, and and that first shot of the town uh, of the street and the tumbleweed are blowing through. Like, yeah, again, it's one of these very obvious cliche things. But it so drives home the narration that Sterling gives and sets up this moral rot, this personal rot that is exemplified by the town that they're in. Like everything fits together. Like you you just feel like this is one of those episodes where everything is super intentional. Yeah, I, I guess that's, you know, none of us really can get in that frontier frame of mind where you're kind of living without, you know, a net, a safety mm-hmm. net. I mean, oh, I mean, yeah. people can end up in terrible situations or life and be there, which, you know, I, I think both of us are fortunate to, uh, not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. But, yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like you mentioned, it seems a little dirty, grimy. Oh, when Syke shows up, my, my note there is that, you know, he, I, I feel like he probably smells like an unfortunate combination of patchouli vomiting and, you know, New York subway. So <laughs> yeah, I think you're hundred percent. Right. Yep. Yep. I, I don't, I don't know why people think patchouli smells good, but I also hate the smell of freshly cut grass. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, I do find it that someone calls Sykes like, uh, Sykes, like a, a, a little person. That was kind of weird. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Pretty big. Yeah, yeah. Little man, is. something like that. Yeah. yeah. It was one of those uh, ironic uh, nicknames, right? Yeah, like tiny, I guess that sort of yeah. thing. Um. Put some other quotes here. Oh, for the um, album title, mentioning Tears mm-hmm. Enough for Both. I was like, that seems perfect for a Latter-day Cure album. Mm, yeah, <laughs> good, good call. Good call. But um, yeah, I guess I, I just keep t- I'm talking about him because he of the scenery chewing characters. He is the one that like sticks with you the most, I think. 
because you're like, oh, he like stole the show and you watch it again. Now everyone's doing their, their part pretty well. But, you know, yeah. you definitely have this smiling face with a few teeth missing as, as your um, take home <laughs> image from this episode, at least in my case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For real. Yeah. Um, you got any other, other hot takes for this? Uh, not really, man. It, it's tough to have hot takes on, <laughs> on this episode because I, I don't know, because it, it keeps surprising you. Like every time, the first time around that I watched it, um, and, and this one deserves multiple viewings because I think the first time around, I just felt like, okay, this is very stylistic. You know, again, the characters are a bit two dimensional and like how much of this over the top con man am I going to be able to take? How much of the, uh, you know, the the bereaved town folk am I going to be able to take? But then once you go through that journey, once you come back and watch it again, you go like, oh, okay, but in this context, these are all correct. These are all the right characters that I need to drive home the message of this story. You know, um, e even like the the silliness at the end of, uh, old man Gallegos, you know, desperately throwing the dust into the air and, you know, crying, it, it's love. It's the, you know, the magic, this is magic. This is love. Like it, it's so ludicrous on the first watch, but it's not ludicrous anymore after you've been through the story. And when you watch it again, you know, I, right, it I, worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I also felt like just, the very idea of what we're dealing with here. Okay, there are plenty of episodes of Twilight Zone where people meet an unfortunate end. But most of the time, those ends are either poetic, like 16 millimeter shrine. Okay, is she dead? Is she not? Does she exist in this other plane? Whatever, wherever she is, it's captured on film in the best parts of her life. So fine. You know, or you have like the uh, the 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 one armed bandit. I'm I'm forgetting the name of the episode. The fugitive? Oh, I'm sorry, we're Twilight. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> the, the, the 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 slot machine that kills the the gambler. You know, yeah, that's and, out of the fever. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, right. And, and it's like, and it's silly and it's ridiculous, but it's also this hallucinatory nightmare. And you feel like, well, that guy met the end that is probably right for him, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but an episode like this, how many times have we dealt with in any TV in 1960-61 the death of a little girl from a drunk driver? You know, that's what we're talking about here. That This is the, the central driving story element for this. This is dark stuff. And to add that extra layer, yes, Twilight Zone has dealt with execution before, with capital punishment before, but this is just like, this isn't just some, uh, even though we get to a weird twist of fate at the end, this is an episode that forces you to contemplate capital punishment from beginning to end. Like that, oh, that is yeah. the whole, that is the whole purpose of this episode. There are other episodes where people die. There are other episodes where somebody is going to get hung, you know, uh, Owl Creek or uh, whatever that, that one is, you know. Well, later this season, we got Shadow Play, which is, certainly has a thing or two to say about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. But, but there's often like a supernatural element that allows you to sort of weave in and out of that. This is like, no, no, no. 
we are just dealing with every single person dealing with this execution. Um, and it, it, it's, it's intense. It's heavy stuff. Well, I, actually, before we get too heavy, I do want yeah. to maybe define magic a little bit and what we're seeing in this episode. So there's, you know, there's David Copperfield. I'm on stage and I'm, you know, mm -hmm. doing stuff. Well, uh, he, he's, he's a little farther past that, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's that, there's stage magic, right? Yeah. Then there's like, you know, the Harry Potter magic, which is kind of in, in everyone's mind. And, yeah. and the one that I think that people that the, the more mystical folks would say, okay, the universe is quantum. Everything is probabilities. So mm -hmm. magic is just a way to nudge those probabilities a little bit, hopefully in our mm -hmm. favor. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's, you know, you take it too far, you end up trying to do astrology, right? But yeah, <laughs> right. But that's right. what I'm, I'm saying here, like, in a way, the dust is magic, because of the intention he's putting into it, like the old man is, you know, firmly convinced that of what yeah. he's doing. So his actions, and it's not the dust is it? it's just his actions are pushing probabilities in a certain direction. Yeah, but that's, that's the string, the, the rope breaking the brand new hemp rope, that breaks five strands, that breaks. That, yeah. that's the conundrum of this episode like is that just a wild coincidence is it magic well, does his intention somehow kind of you know like make yeah. it more likely that would happen at that point well what's important is that he's putting that intention into all the people who are gathered there to all the people who are gathered there in this ghoulish thing that we used to do not that long ago in our collective history which is get together and watch somebody die you know, like this is from our point of view now, the, this is a this is a grim display of the worst of humanity that we would get to do that. Now, you can make an argument now that we do a similar thing by, you know, watching videos of people get hurt and all the like, like that that impulse is still there to see something um, that is disturbing and is uh, dangerous. Um, but at the time, public executions were common, they were expected, and they were a part of the experience for the, the town folk in a place like that. That was just expected. That was just part of a thing that you did. And for him to be able to change the minds of people long enough to want a different outcome instead of the thing that they gathered there for, which is... Oh, well, justice is served as long as we're there watching this person die, which is its own twisted thing, you know. But as long as he's able to change their minds long enough that they want a different outcome, to, to get back to what you're getting at here, what happens? Are, are they pushing the universe? Are they pushing that probability, nudging it just enough in the right direction that the rope breaks? I mean, look, I, I'm a, uh, uh, as much of a sort of, you know, naturalistic, non-believer, skeptic, whatever. Like, I almost, I, I don't need uh, Sykes at the end saying like, but it was, you know, five strands of brand new hemp rope and it broke, like, like telegraphing that back to the audience. <laughs> I don't necessarily need that because all I need to know is that it broke. All I need to know is that young Gallegos is okay. And the important part about it is not how it broke, not that it did break. It's that for a moment, the people in this town got to stop and reflect on themselves. They got to reflect on their own bad behavior 
and that to me is the magic of the episode you know just just to touch the gallows humor i i did mm -hmm. end up thinking if that that one father was somewhat you know disappointed you know he took his kids to see a hanging and nobody got hanged it's yeah like... <laughs> right yeah yeah but like but then then you have to have a conversation about it in the reality of this town then you have to have a conversation about that afterward like is it a good thing that we were there to watch somebody die how do we feel about it now that he didn't how do we feel about it now that we saw the look of relief on his face and on his father's face and on his sister's face like how then do we process all of that because now these are still living people that we have to interact with and are they going to have a hang in next week? I mean, it's a, like a weekly event at the at the frontier town. Maybe I don't know that. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, see, that's the other interesting question here. Like, I, I I don't know what the statistics are. I don't know what the laws were like in 1960, but I have to assume that at the time that this was written, capital punishment was, if not more common, at least more legal than it is now. Like the number of states that have outlawed capital punishment between 1960 and 2022, probably pretty high. The number of countries that have outlawed capital punishment since 1960, probably not an insignificant number. No, of the, I, uh, the first world nations, the only countries that even have capital punishments, the one I'm sitting in and the one you're sitting in. Yeah, right, right. Point. Yeah, yeah. And, and and here in the US, I mean, like, even in California, where I am like that, that has gone back and forth a few times in the last 100 years, right now, capital punishment still outlawed. But, you know, the famously, that's like why Charles Manson did not get the death penalty, because it was right on the edge of the time that where it was legal, but then it stopped being legal, then it went back for a while. And, you know, it's all this strange stuff. And I have to imagine that here's Rod Serling talking to an audience in 1960-61 saying, by the way, <laughs> have you really given thought to what it is that we're doing as an audience, as a, a societal audience, when we allow people to get put to death? Like, What happens if you just take a step back from that for a minute and decide to exercise some mercy or decide to put yourself into the shoes of the family of the person who is being executed, whatever, you know, I, I don't think he's saying that people shouldn't pay for their crimes, but I think he's showing a real distinction here between, okay, can we make a judgment call about what is an accident? What is something that merits the highest level of punishment that we have versus what we do when we show a little mercy to someone i i it, it's super profound and um you know i i, I don't want to be preachy on your podcast but you know <laughs> it, it's um the the emotional compassionate part of this i think is what's so important that is um sometimes for you know for better or for worse either becomes a component or stops being a component in how we set laws and, and how we administer those laws to people. Um, obviously, we have some more discussion to do, mm -hmm. but I'm actually going to start asking my normal questions because I think that second one's going <laughs> to lead to a lot of that discussion this time around. So yeah, yeah. Um, 
let's go ahead and define who went into the twilight zone in this episode. <laughs> so I, it, what's interesting is I think you could make that argument for, uh, for a, a few different people, actually several different people. I think one, you can say that Sykes went through the twilight zone because his reality was changed by selling this thing that he thought was just a bag of dust, but then a miracle happened. And what happened to him afterward, he, he gives the money to the kids. His reality is now shaken. So he's like, uh, I, I can't take this money it's that like the I got. opposite of blood money, I guess. It's like you meant for it to be blood money and now it's not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think he did. Um, I think uh, Luis Gallegos did. He was saved by a miracle of some sort, however we want to define that miracle. But he, he gets to step out of it and live his life now. Um, Old Man Gallegos went through the Twilight Zone in the respect that he, um, he put his faith into something, whether he believed it or not. And we, we're led to believe that he, he thinks of what he's doing is legit. He believes in the magic of the bag. Somehow that magic actually worked for him in this case. And that I would say most importantly is everybody in that town who's assembled to watch an execution. They yeah, went that's the what I was going to get to. Well. I was going to say yeah. the whole town, except for my sarcastic exception, that guy that just wanted to take his kids to see a hanging. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. But but again, but but those people, his their reality, changed too. His, their too. reality changed at that point when the rope broke, and broke just as the father is pleading for love. They've got to go back home and sort this out. They've got to talk about this, you know, so have quite a discussion at home. (laughs) Yeah. For everybody there watching their reality changed. So they all went through it too. So that does bring us to the second one, which I I think is going to break out in a a little more of an answer than usual, which is, (laughs) in fact, I'm going to rephrase it. Who deserves what in this episode? (laughs) Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. We we can take it one by one. Let's go ahead and start with, I guess, uh, Luis is, is the most obvious because yeah. he, he gets redemption which and i think both you and i on the page are like nobody deserves to capital punishment nobody deserves to die but what does he deserve i mean yeah like, like that's a good question like nobody knows what to do with him at the end and uh, so the sheriff just says you can go home um and it was interesting because if i'm not mistaken gallegos asks am i free and the sheriff, he doesn't really respond to that, but he says, you can go home. So th- there's sort of a, a Doesn't question. Doesn't he say of, as free as any of us? <laughs> did, did he say that? Did he? Okay. Maybe, yeah, maybe there was I'm a line like that. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but to me, it was, there's a bit of ambivalence there because it's like, okay, he escaped execution, but does he really escape? justice in the respect that he still did this thing yeah yeah it was an accident a horrible accident but a little girl died and somehow we have to make up for this somehow gallegos has to be punished he has to serve although you could argue that the punishment of thinking that you're about to be hung and going through that process is torture I, you know, that uh, just the, the process of what he's gone through is kind of torture. How much more can you lay on him at that point? I don't know. Something um, that's uh, 
very different between 1961 and now and mm-hmm. 2022 is a recording is um let's let's take think of north by northwest with uh mm-hmm. cary grant he's had a bottle of bourbon you know poured into him right mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and it's, right. it's like a joke at the police station so it's like i'm like in yeah. 1961 is the fact that he was actually drunk driving like not because now it just it seems like yeah he like this Luis really does suck, even if he comes across as a nice guy, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think we're a little more judgmental towards him now than people might have been in 1961. Yeah. But I mean, the, the question is still like, OK, you can't replace a life. You know, they, they can't replace this little girl who died um, at the same time. The important thing here is that that little girl's family realizes that they don't want to see another death, that another death will not atone for the loss of their child. And that's what's really critical about the message of this episode is telling an audience in 1961, by the way, if you think that justice is being served just because somebody else died, that is not the case at all. Now, now you've got, you know, two dead bodies instead of the one. So we've got to figure out a better way to frame like how we deal with these crimes, how we punish the people who are guilty of them. But are we doing that correctly? Or are we doing that humanely if we just decide, well, best thing to do is string them up in the town square? Like, no, that 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 clearly is not the answer. Um, so does Luis get off a little too easy? I. I that, that that's really that is hard to say you know like it's hard to imagine that he's going to be able to sleep that night or the next night yeah. or the night after that you know or, or, or the night he films you know star trek generations yeah see <laughs> exactly five years later or, exactly you know, if we're doing math correctly okay. yeah yeah <laughs> um so I, I don't know what his fate is. I don't, I don't know if he if he gets what he deserves or not enough of what he deserves. But I would say that he was tortured by going through what he went through in the episode, and he will continue to be tortured by it, he, even but, if even if there's the relief that he got a second chance. Yeah, let's take it to pops then. Who? Um, but uh, my note is daddy's argument for justifying drunken vehicular homicide holds holds no water. Is, is mm. this why this episode's dust, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but when he's making the argument, it's like, again, it's like, no, I'm, I'm not for capital punishment, but your argument doesn't, it's, it's, it's all emotion. It's not logic. And you're kind of just yeah. like glossing over like the horrible thing that's happened. Like daddy's argument mostly is nonsensical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not an argument that would hold up in a court of law, obviously, you know, but but I think what's important is that we as the audience immediately clue into the idea that Luis isn't just some lone guy who constantly makes bad decisions. He's somebody who has a family, who has people who care about him, and then we should also be in the shoes of the people who care about him. We can also be in the shoes of the family who are mourning over the loss of their little girl. But we we have to humanely be in the shoes of everybody who's involved. So if he serves that purpose, then maybe that's uh, dramatically that's the right thing to do legally not so much so, uh, so i might put daddy in the shoes of kind of like um 
you know, naive idealism, basically. Like, yeah. you can't dislike him. Yeah. He's, 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 you know, he's seems like a pure sort of guy. I mean, who knows? But, you know, in this episode, he seems like a relatively pure sort of guy. Now, the, the parents of the, um, the child, who are way too old to be parents of a child, by the way. I looked yeah. up um, uh, the, the uh, actress was Dorothy something. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she was 60 years old when they filmed this. I'm like, no, she didn't have a little girl. <laughs> but Oh, but, wow. But they did make the decision. Um, here we go. Dorothy Adams was about 60 filming this. So, um, <laughs> there, yeah. since I didn't get her in the trivia, but yeah, the, the Canfields, they're the ones that make that very, that decision not to kill today. I, you know, they were complicit with it before, but then they yeah. make, you know, the decision. They, they are given that decision. They make the decision. Nobody dies today, which yeah. I guess that's an important frontier decision to make. <laughs> right. Right. That's why I'm like, are, are we having another hanging next week? Or is this town like kind of has their mind shifted, you know? Well, I, yeah, I mean, that, that's what I hope. What I hope what happens in the reality of the show is that this is that little spark where people get to be reflective enough and think, oh, wait a minute, maybe all this capital punishment, maybe the spectacle that we make out of execution isn't actually such a good thing. Maybe we actually have to think that there are other people uh, or there are real people on the other side of the equation here. To the audience in 1960, 61, again, it's forcing them to reconcile with the idea that, well, capital punishment is still a pretty common thing. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with the idea that we have just decided that we're going to leave the fates of human beings up to 12 people and a judge who get to decide who lives and who dies. You know, uh, here's a question. We, we feel uh, like we're all a little more like evolved these days. We don't have public executions, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're not filmed or anything. Uh, they're in private. Mm-hmm. Are we just sticking our hands over our, gears and going na 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 and just not seeing them there's stuff there like should they be public like hey as a society we're doing this so we all have to see it happening yeah no i mean look i i don't think that's a bad argument to make at all that i forgot what episode of mission log years and years and years ago we talked about uh executions and how the history of that is that having a public execution there was, well, there are many reasons for it, but but one of the things that it served to do is it sort of drove home to the audience that was there. It's like, um, this is one of you. The, this, you know, this is a person from your community who did a terrible thing. Now look what's happened to them. And it's sort of uh, an equalizer in that respect. Now we have so sanitized the idea of execution that it creates this distance between us as people and the very real people who are also being executed. It allows us to look at them as something other than human. It allows us to look at them as monsters who, as long as we keep killing the monsters, then we're doing something okay by our society. And that is not necessarily the case either. You know, it's this, it's a strange idea that if you just, keep killing enough if you just keep you know throwing either bullets or enough high voltage electricity or uh, you know choose your weapon if you keep throwing enough of that at the problem eventually you'll just get rid of all the evil in the world well 
guess what? Here it is 2022. And after 100,000 years of, you know, human evolution, we still haven't gotten rid of all the evil in the world, even though we keep killing each other as fast as we possibly can with new and impressive mechanized ways to do that. So I, I, I get the idea of how public execution served one kind of purpose. I also think it is ghoulish and disgusting and we should not bring that back. But it's also kind of weird when you think that, yeah, we've sanitized it and put it behind closed doors. So most of us don't know what it looks like when somebody dies. Because that's the, the dad's 19th century logic. And in 19th century terms, it's, it's solid. Like kids need to see how our society runs. They need to experience what we do, you know, mm -hmm. now, you know, which in yeah. 19th century logic, I guess that makes sense. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and well, prior to the 19th century, I mean, pu public executions, it, you know, it, there was a part of it that was for show. There was a part of it that was the state exercising its power and rubbing that in people's faces. But that that other part of it, you know, intended or not, where the audience sees it as like, you know, well, there but for the grace of God go I, um, it, it, it creates a connection to that person. Like you're there in an audience with other people from that same community, now watching somebody have their life snuffed out from them. Let's uh, let's move that spotlight a little bit over to our other main character. We haven't talked about what Sykes deserves or does not deserve quite yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I, I I made a few notes a few times in my notes. I was like, this this kind of is a quark from you know uh, Deep Space Nine. So <laughs> sure, yeah, you get, you get profit from uh, from other people's misfortune. Um, does well, it, he gives the money away at the end. So does he profit from peace as well as profit from death? Uh, I like to think that he is somebody who now has to completely reassess his life. And I guess it just depends on how you see this particular character. Does he walk away and then a few days later decide that he's going to pull the same scam again in another town? Or is he a guy who just saw a miracle happen and he doesn't quite understand and think, oh, I need to reassess all of my life's decisions? I'm going to, uh, again, with that um, kind of quark comparison, I'm going to assume he's going to end up on the quark pages. I'm going to scam, continue scamming people, but maybe not with such emotional depth charges. Mm. Mm. <laughs> like you learn, like, at least I don't like destroy people's lives, but otherwise, maybe if I annoy them a little, that's fine. But, you know, he, he like he was yeah. doing severe emotional, well, he thought he was doing severe emotional manipulation for, for profit with, with, yeah. Uh, Gallegos, but um, in fact, he was inadvertently, you know, instigating a miracle, right? So, yeah, yeah. So, he did everything wrong for the uh, right um, outcome, which, yeah, yeah, <laughs> make yeah. all the wrong right. moves. I, right. I actually um, I had this idea uh, last week, uh, have a show sort of like uh, The Incredible Hawk or, or, uh, Touched by an Angel, Highway to Heaven, even <laughs> Quantum Leap, you know, the, the kind of anthology mm. where the, the drifter mm -hmm. goes into a different town and uh, yeah. helps someone. I want to see a show where the drifter shows up in a different town every week and totally screws up someone's life, <laughs> half inadvertently, half on purpose. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> could be a good show. It yeah. could be Voyager, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, it could. Yeah. Go to a, another planet yeah. every week and screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> one thought, but um, yeah, yeah, I did like Sykes. It's again, he's the character that you think about when this turns off because he's the liveliest one. He's the most interesting to watch. Yeah, the actor is the one that got the Academy Award nomination, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's so he's extremely likable and extremely horrible. So at the end of the episode, it's like how much <laughs> of that horrible has now been erased or or not? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully by giving back the money, that's some indication that that he has turned over a new leaf. But again, how long does that stick? I don't know. Yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. Well, let us stick this onto the tripometer, zero being not trippy at all, five being very trippy. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you want to throw this one? Uh, I, you know, I'm going to give this... A, I'm going to give this a 4.5 on the tripometer. Um, I, I think it has less to do with like weird mind bending, weird like change your perception of the universe. I don't think that's what this episode is about, but I have to give this episode very high marks for just doing what I always appreciated about Star Trek when it when it chooses to do so, which is that moment that it reaches through the TV grabs the audience by the lapels and says, this is the contemporary story that we're telling. Yes, this is fantasy. Yes, this is set, you know, 80 years ago. But, (laughs) but hear me out. Let's talk about why capital punishment is messy and ghoulish and disgusting, and you should be horrified by it. And all you have to do is take a step back for a second, like the people in this town, and see that person on their end as a human being, and really ask yourself if you're okay with that person dying in front of your eyes. You know, so it, it, I, I think the the quote unquote miracle aspect at the end of it is less impressive, less important, less mind bending than a lot of other Twilight Zone mind-bending. But the drama of this plays out just right for me. And if that little minor miracle gets us to that that point, yeah, four, four and a half. Okay, I'm going to go lower than you on the tripometer. On the mm-hmm. tripometer, it's a 2.5 for me. Um, <laughs> westerns, yeah. are, westerns, unless it's El Topo, Westerns like are automatically not that trippy for me. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that that takes away, and, and you know the imagery. I mean, the trippiest thing we get is like dust flying through the air. So not sure. very trippy. Now, if I had called it the, the philosophy meter, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> which okay, maybe, well maybe I could have, should have, I don't know, but um, that is the yeah. way you could approach the show. <laughs> I, yeah, I would yeah. agree with your score. Okay. Well, go- well, here's the thing. So, so we'll we'll invent it. The philosophy meter. The philoso philosometer. Philosophizer. Philosophizer. I guess a 5.5 out of 5 on the uh, Philosophizer. Um, but yeah, trip, Tripometer, I, I could even, I, I would, with that logic, I would even adjust that down. Maybe it gets like, a, maybe I'm a little higher than you. Maybe it's like a 3.5 because we don't get an answer. We don't get, you know, is it the hand of God? Is it the will of the people? Is it quantum entanglement? Is it the one possible outcome that is a one in a billion? Who knows? But whatever it is that did happen, it changed the reality of all of those people at the same time, which is a pretty 
miraculous thing to do. Well, I guess I'm realizing more and more um, for my three questions. Question one and two are for deep discussions, right? Mm. Question three is for me because I'm just interested in what people think is trippy <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not like, oh, no, that's scores wrong. I'm like, oh, you see this a very different way than I do. And hey, I've been convinced once or twice to like, um, I, I actually agree that the monsters are doing Maple Street is zero on the triple meter now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if anyone wants to go back, there's a good explanation uh, uh, from from uh, Jessica Limverity why why it's not trippy, and actually she oh. sold me on it. So, oh, cool. All right, all right. Yeah, it's a, but I think I think we decide um, in that episode they are tripped in, but it's not trippy. <laughs> right, right. But see, but no, but I, I I like that because I I get where you're coming from. Uh, yeah, the the trippy. There are episodes of Twilight Zone that are very trippy, where you just feel like your mind has been blown, and now you have to sit back and like really pick up the pieces and put that back together. This isn't that episode, but it is a powerful episode. I have a weird relationship with westerns too. Uh, again, mm -hmm. when when we go to the western Twilight Zone, it's it's fine. It's never mm -hmm. a problem for me, really. But yeah. Um, yeah. I, I sometimes have trouble getting through Westerns. Haven't watched Yellowstone yet. Um, oh, yeah. Anyone <laughs> yeah. says watch Yellowstone. Um, but, you know, like Unforgiven, great movie, never in the mood for it. Uh, mm. That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Leone movies, love the music. Um, yeah. Their masterpieces. Do you, do you like Tombstone? Okay, I can watch Tombstone. That okay, one, that that's one, a that great one movie. Pops. There yeah. you go. It's been a yeah. while since I've seen it, but I can watch that. But when I was a you know, kid, probably from, from about eight years old, about 12 years old, I would uh, record like, 3 a.m. movies, you know, like like hour-long westerns from the 30s. I had a weird obsession with those. Maybe because it was like forbidden fruit. Like nobody yeah. knew about them. Like even my dad was a little like, I don't know quite what this is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I definitely have an affinity for for that. Or if you want to go back a, a few months ago, I was actually like watching Tom Mix on YouTube, you know. Oh, awesome. <laughs> cool. Because yeah. I didn't realize how much of it was there. So um yeah. Yeah. So and, and I always have to say El Topo when I'm talking about Westerns not being trippy because that one is. <laughs> <laughs> but but that, see, I'm not I'm not unlike you in that respect. Like um, just saying here, watch this Western. Like I, I'm really not into those. But I but if there are Westerns that have this other sense of mind bendingness, or or particularly when a show like The Twilight Zone will introduce some sort of weird science fiction element to a Western setting, then like, yeah, then I'm all in on that. Um, but but just, it's a Western, there are people who are going to shoot each other over, you know, the property line of where they keep their cattle. Like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that interested in that. But along comes a movie like Tombstone, or, you know, Unforgiven, which has its own kind of weird mystical sense to it, you know? Oh, yeah. Great movie. So, I, I guess yeah. I guess I, I have trouble slowing down to Eastwood's pace sometimes. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think we all yeah. do. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. it's, 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 you know, a lot of things where like, it's, there's nothing bad here. It's just like I definitely respect what's happening here, but I'm not really on board. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I have no taste anyway. I think my favorite 
Clint Eastwood movie that he directed is probably like Space Cowboys, which isn't even good. <laughs> <laughs> I just like seeing them in space. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. I'm a sci-fi yeah. guy. <laughs> well, um, hey, I, if you're looking for a Western, though, I, I would also uh, still put a vote in for the TV series uh, Hell on Wheels, uh, starring Captain Pike, Anson Mount. That is just a great, great series about finishing off the Transcontinental Railroad, post civil war so you've got that tension there and then you got Colmini as just a fantastic bad guy um so i that one there there's a western that i think you get down with yeah yeah that, that yeah. is on my radar but i have yet mm. to to get to that conveying yeah. to a tv show can be uh, difficult you know i had to do a podcast yeah. to make sure i got through all the twilight zones <laughs> right yeah because <laughs> otherwise uh, i watch a bunch of them and skip some right and i yeah and, I probably would have skipped a dust because I'm like, I don't like dust. Yeah. Dust <laughs> makes me sneeze. <laughs> but it is a really good episode. So that's, yeah. that's the point of going through one at a time. Um, I know we got to some major points there, but I do want to give you the floor in case we missed something. No, I don't think we did, man. Like, I didn't uh, intend to come on your show and rant about uh, the injustices of the death penalty, but I, I'm just so, I, I so like it when a show that is ahead of its time, like the Twilight Zone, can be even more so ahead of its time and address something that is, you know, in the tradition of Gene Roddenberry, you change the setting and suddenly you can talk about things that are really important. Because if Rod Serling had just written a contemporary 1961 drama about somebody getting the death penalty, I I think either would have been very much by rote by the time you know the network had finished doing their thing with it. It would have been very watered down, or we would have ended up with a less contemplative ending. And I think this is the right call. The, the, this is the right choice to take something, set it in a, at the time, very popular genre, the Western, because um, you get to draw people in with that. And then while you have that audience, while you have their eyes glued to the TV, you start to get that audience to think. And I wish that more shows could and would do that in something as simple and elegant as this a 30 minute time slot to tell a complete story and give us some actual food for thought. I, I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, Hey man, I, I love getting impassioned brands here. That's, that's part of the point. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Oh, I had another point in my head, but it went out. So oh, oh, well. sorry about so, that. I, no problem. <laughs> so I'll, 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 I guess I'll say to you, happy Halloween. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's coming up. That, indeed. That's today. That's today. Oh, right on. Hey, happy <laughs> Halloween then. It is today. Awesome. <laughs> so I guess I'll just throw that. Um, uh, we are, of course, recording this several weeks before, but um, yeah. you got a costume? I have ideas for a costume. I'm, uh, I'm going to a Halloween party that is uh, booze themed. And the idea is you have to come in a costume of your own creation. So I can't just like go order one from Amazon uh, that is like your favorite booze or cocktail. I thought the easiest thing to do is I get a bunch of uh, like Wolfman hair, glue it to my belly, and then I can be a fuzzy navel. Um, ah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, actually, I, when my my mom was uh, once had had us go to a party, 
I think it was actually like a summer like house or something. Anyway, she was like, um, take this blue sheet and put it on. I'm like, why? Because because you know I'm an only child, so it's like we're three sheets to the wind. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So that, that right. was, when when faced with that, she went with that um, choice. No, That's I was good. Thinking, I, I was instantly thinking of speakeasies or whatever, and I'd go in a zoot suit, but yeah, <laughs> that's not yeah, actually that's a drink, is it? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> no, you got to go uh, as a cocktail. Okay. Yeah. Now, if I a difficult one to do would be the uh, French 75. Like the French part is easy. The 75 part is difficult because the cocktail is, you know, gin, champagne, a little simple syrup and a little lemon, but it's named after uh, a 75 millimeter French artillery shell, because they like say you drink enough French 75, you feel like you got hit by one. Uh, oh, so. too bad. I was, I was told you have a, you have a, you have a nice Halloween bullet hit. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Just a, a big hole in my chest. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, I was thinking of the year 75 at first, not, not the caliber. So I was thinking, right, right. You could carry like a, a jello mold with like carrots in it or something. <laughs> <laughs> Typifies 1975. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I guess I was trying to say that as a, a prelude to, um, what's up in your in your in the mission log zone about that time if you can think that far ahead <laughs> uh that is you know that is a really good question because we will be midway through season two like almost past the midway point of season two a threshold is awfully close it is <laughs> You're very at the threshold, close. threshold yeah i'm a little bit concerned about that um because it, who knows where we're gonna oh and two fix is very close to that as well we got a lot of heavy hitters coming up soon so watch out for that on mission log and uh we will be wrapping up uh uh lower decks on mission log live so we'll probably do a little bit of a follow-up recap some interviews and we'll take time off for mission log live until there's another new series on the air so yeah so a little there bit is another new there. series on the air you're just not doing it on live <laughs> oh, oh, oh prodigy back? well yeah prodigy yeah so norman and ashley will start prodigy that comes out october 27th so their first episode will drop like november 2nd i think um so they'll they'll start that i have obviously a much smaller hand in that but uh mm -hmm. you know keep uh keep following us at podcast.ronberry.com new stuff will show up there as for this one, it is Time Enough Pod, Time Enough Pod on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, if you want to throw a dime to keep the lights on, I have at least one lamp here I always have on because it, I know, I know I don't do a video, but it doesn't look right when I turn it off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> at least one lamp. Keep that on. Yeah. Anyway, we'll keep that lamp on with, uh, we're on Patreon as Podcastio Podcastius, where you can also hear about sci fi films at Matt and Luke's Sci Fi Sanctuary. Um, that I should mention oral hygiene where we're continuing our, our bizarre occult Disney series. Just looking at not, 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 not like the Illuminati is trying to reprogram your brain, which is like what's actually in these movies that like <laughs> maybe went unnoticed or, or, or noticed at the time we forgot about that sort of thing. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and uh, you can hear some video game podcasts that I don't really show up on. Luke loves Pokemon about Pokemon monster mash about monster hunter and the game game show, which is, um, for British guys yelling at each other, which I guess is a lot of UK podcasts. And, That's uh, great. Awesome. Actually, it's funny. I, I, um, Luke made a trip home and, and did some one-on-ones with his co-hosts. And I listened to one. I was like, you're softballing. You have, you have to be on Zoom so you can all yell, <laughs> yell insults at each other without being in the same room. Yeah. Very <laughs> cool. 
just didn't sound right. <laughs> anyway, uh, we, we've dodged that rope today. Can you dodge a rope? Yeah. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Well, you escaped the uh, the hangman's noose. Didn't okay. dodge it so much, but yeah, it's fair. We'll, we'll say we, dodge. We've escaped yeah. the hangman's noose day for a big, bright, beautiful tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Just said James, Billy the Kid. Nobody knows if they did what they did. Just said James, and Billy the Kid. Nobody knows the how and the why. One day you live, the next day you die. One day you live, the next day you die. Both were shot from behind, betrayed in the homes that both hoped to find. Betrayed in the homes that both hoped to find. Nobody knows the how and the why. One day you live, the next day you die. One day you live, the next day you die. Just said James and Billy the Kid. Nobody knows if they did what they did. Just said James and Billy the Kid.